So without further ado, would you welcome to the pulpit here at Faith Christian Center, Brother Miguel Zayas. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. God is good. Isn't he? I love looking at all these Apple products in front of me. It makes me feel good. I want to introduce you to my family. It's been a while since uh, they have been able to be with me. Whoops, we have to go to the beginning. Options. First slide. It just works. There we go. Um, Well, as you can tell, I've become one of the shortest people in my family. Um, You know, it's really good to be here and to be with all of you. I'm going to be sharing some of the stories and the things that God is doing in Estonia. It's been a few years since I've been back on the East Coast at all and visiting with friends and churches, saying hello and reminding them that... uh, we're still out there. <laughs> um, this year, 2013, is a pretty spectacular year for us. Um, um, I had uh, celebrated uh, 20 years of being in ministry, uh, 13 years of living in Estonia. So 2013 was a big deal. And uh, many wonderful things happened. Our church celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Um, we uh, had the chance back in January to purchase a building through the generosity of, of people like yourselves, through the church, and through very personal friends here who have helped us to do what God's called us to do for the last uh, 13 years. Um, I'll just introduce you to my family since they're not here. Um, well, directly to my right is my daughter, Lizelle. She is uh, 12. And um, she's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, she's 12, yes. And 12 going on 20 or something, I don't even know. Um, next to me, the first the little young man with the tie is my son Alberto. He's seven. He just started the first grade this year. They start the first grade when you're seven in Estonia. And it's my wife, uh, Mai. Next to Mai is uh, my oldest uh, child. Her name is Kayla. She is turning um, 17 in November. Next year she'll be 18. She keeps reminding me that. Um, and then, uh, basically, in, in less than two years, she will graduate from high school, and she wants to transition to the U.S. to come to university here, most likely on the West Coast. And then next to her is my son, uh, Daniel. He's 14 years old. He's about to turn 15. And I lost the hair, and he gained it. So there we go. Um, so there's my family. Um, so greetings from them. They can be here um, and greetings from our church. Uh, I have a, a, just a short video. It's about a four-minute video of some of the latest things that are happening. So I'll just uh, show that to you now. There's audio with that. And ancient medieval cities. A land of running hills and bustling streets. A jewel in Baltic Sea with a population under 1.4 million people. A shining star of progress, innovation, low national debt and free Wi-Fi. However, this is only part of the story. According to recent polls, Estonia 
is considered the most non-religious nations in 25 nations which make up European Union. 60% of marriages end in divorce, as well one in six people live in poverty. Estonia is a nation that desperately needs to know the love of our Father God, the unique relationship we can have with His Son Jesus and experience a mighty touch of Holy Spirit. The local church is the only hope of Estonia. Weiner Tallinn has been sharing gospel in Estonia over 10 years and now, just some month ago, their biggest dream came through. Hello everyone, my name is Miguel and I want to welcome you into a place that is our church's uh, new home. This really is a dream that is becoming a full-on reality for us here in Estonia. Uh, on my birthday this last year, we had the chance to sign a contract to buy a building uh, for us as a community to gather together. When I first started the church, I really felt like God had asked me to build Him a place that would last a hundred years. Now I know, like you know, that church isn't about buildings, it's about people. And so in this place, we are able to reach people in our community. There are literally thousands of people in apartments within walking distance, which means that the opportunity and the potential is just limitless. Uh, what we want to see happen in this place is, is, is a community that loves God, loves people, and serves the city. So we're standing right now in our main gathering room where, where we will come together for Sunday services and celebrate Jesus together. Our youth will be here together. Things that we do in the community will gather together again back in this room. Off to our side we have our new toilets being built. We'll definitely need those. And behind you we have three different kids' rooms uh, to service different areas of our kids' ministry. And behind us, behind this wall over here, we'll have our, our audio and video room where we can uh, experiment with creativity and video and audio as well. And so this this is the place that uh, we're going to be able to do quite a lot of ministry from. And there's so many things that still need to be done. We, we have some of the money raised, and as you can tell, walls are being built, and, but we'll have things coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, uh, new electrical lines and ventilation and heating systems, all that stuff, and we find ourselves in a place where we need some extra help. Um, when it comes down to it, we need $40,000. Uh, that'll help us completely finish this building. We already have about uh, $40,000 raised, and we need another $40,000. So I'm asking you to consider to do two things. Number one, first pray. Pray that, that we can use this place as, as an outreach tool, as a way to reach people. Pray uh, that God gives us the wisdom and the innovation and the strength to continue to do what God called us to do, which is love God, love people, and, and serve the city. And I'm also asking you to consider partnering with us financially. At the end of the video, there'll be a screenshot of an address that you can help us with, an email, and way you can get in touch with us. And we would love to be able to partner together to see this dream really become a reality. So I want to thank you ahead of time. Thank you for your prayer, and thank you for your support. God bless you. So 
there are some really great things that God has uh, just letting us now uh, get into. And really, what we need for you to do is, is to pray. Uh, pray for us. Pray that we do have the wisdom uh, and uh, the creativity, the innovation that's needed uh, to reach what is the least religious country in, in all of Europe. And one statistic said on the entire planet. Um, so it's, it's a place that is uh, quite dark in, in many concerns when it comes to the gospel. It's not just uh, not understood, it is disregarded completely. It's not part of the culture as it used to be uh, many, many years ago. So pray for us. Uh, pray that God, uh, uh, we see a really move of the Spirit of God, which is what we need. You know, uh, we have technology, you know, Estonia is the home of Skype. I don't know if you knew that. Estonia, the world headquarters is in Tallinn, Estonia. So, I mean, in terms of innovation, the culture is, is there on the cutting edge of just about everything. Uh, but we're also on the cutting edge of some of the, the worst statistics uh, within the European Union. And we're also asking for people to consider partnering with us. Um, you know, I forgot to... I, I haven't done this in a really long time, stand up in front of a group of people and talk about our stories. And I totally forgot to bring everything with me to say, hey, can you help? And here's how to help. So Pastor John was gracious enough to put some piece of paper out there. And if you're interested to find out about what we're doing, you can write your name down and, and I can get in touch with you by email or by mail and just connect, you know, so you can hear and experience for yourself. We're also on Facebook, so you can, um, how many people on Facebook? All right, that's most of us. So just find me on Facebook. We'll be friends, I promise. I won't say no to you, okay? Um, and really, thank you. Thank you for 13 years of partnering. Um, thank you for being with us every step of the way uh, through a, it's been a very long journey uh, through the years you know we are, we're in need of things but I mean everybody's in need of something you know we, we're trying to raise $40,000 and in that process be able to finish a building we're also trying to figure out how to, to all of our staff if you would call them that they're all volunteers we have a complete volunteer staff at our church and I'm at a place where I need to hire someone who will help me manage my life, which is funny. And um, our church is not at a place to do that, and we're, we're trying to figure that out as well. So again, if you can just keep praying for us, considering partnering with us, and, and again, I'm just incredibly, incredibly thankful. You know, like I said, this year uh, was, has been an interesting year, um, to say the very least. 20 years celebrating being in ministry, 13 years of living in Estonia. And then a pretty dramatic thing happened. I signed a contract to buy our building on my birthday on January the 4th of this last year. And on January the 19th, I had a massive heart attack. I, I almost died. I, I was really close to being gone. Two of my arteries had completely closed. One of them still is 100% closed. Um, uh, the one that was supplying blood to, the, to my heart and to my body was 80% closed. And, and I had no indication this was going to happen. The next thing I know is I'm in the hospital and the doctors are telling me I'm having a heart attack. Currently, I have three stents in my heart. I go back to Estonia on the 11th of October. On the 15th, I go back to the hospital. They found another uh, vein, uh, a long vein in my heart that needs a stent. And so I'm going back in for a procedure where they go in through my wrist and they come across and they stick this thing in my heart to help keep me alive. Um, so it's been a, an interesting year, <laughs> to say the very least. 
and, and you know, when I say pray, and, and uh, you know, people have said in the past, I, I've, I feel your prayers and that kind of stuff. But I can honestly say, during the time in January when I was going through that and trying to recover and get back some sense of, of normality to my life, I really felt covered. Um, and so I know several of you, I just found out of a lady who's been praying for me every Tuesday. Thank you so much. Because you don't realize, and I didn't realize just how much I needed it. And really was being cared for and carried along in prayer. As we go on, I'll share some of the interesting things that happened while I was in the hospital. But I want to start with this question. And I started with the story to start with this question. The question is, what would you do? If today was your last day on earth, what would you do? What would you do? Now, make a mental uh, checklist in your mind of a couple of things that you would do today if today was your last day. Uh, for me, it's a very real reality. I had to change my ways of thinking, had to change my ways of living, had to change my ways of doing things. So change has become a constant part of my life right now. And on some level, change is not fun, it's not comfortable, it's uneasy, it's unnerving. Things used to be, but now they must change, and they must be different. And man, that can be hard. If you've ever been through any kind of dramatic or drastic change. And so I've had to ask myself this question, what would I do if today was my last day on earth? Because on January the 19th of this last year, it almost was. Ever since that day, I have had to ask myself that question. What would I do? How would I live my life today? Now maybe, you know, as you go through that mental checklist, you're thinking about the food you've never eaten before, the places you've never visited before, the movie you haven't seen yet. Whatever it is, the thing you want to go travel and go see and be a part of. And it's okay. What would you do if today was your last day alive? Now we're going to look at a passage in Scripture um, that is very familiar to all of us, okay? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to not mentally check out once we start this. Because for those who've been part of the church for a long period of time, maybe that's most of us here today. Uh, when we go to the scripture, sometimes we, we forget to look at it with fresh eyes. We get to see, forget to see it w- with the way that God had intended to give us life. And we realize, ah, I've heard that before. Pastor said that before. I've heard this person say that before. And, and so you mentally check out. I'm asking you not to. Because I hope to share uh, a parable today in a different kind of a light uh, that will maybe help us answer this question, what would you do today if it was your last day on earth? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. If you want to start heading over to Matthew chapter 25. And as you're making your way to Matthew 25, well, what comes before 25? There's a great chapter. It's called 24. It usually comes, you know, before 25. And it kind of helps to set up where we're going to go to understand this scripture in the context that it was written in. Okay, this is going to be important for us. So Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end of the times. Now, for most of us, especially in the West, when we think of the end of times, we think of the last days. 
Right? We think of the end of the end of the end when this world somehow will be destroyed through an asteroid or whatever form of crazy Hollywood film will come out with the next way that the world will be destroyed. And for most of us, when we think of the end times, we're only thinking about the end of the end of the end. But this is not the way that this was written. Because you have to understand two things. One, that Jesus was talking to whom? A Jewish people. He was talking to Jewish people, wasn't he? Wasn't he? And so the Jews had a very different take on what the end times meant than us in the West. So what I'm going to do for the next couple of minutes is just do a little bit of, you know, Bible college theology with you. Just a little bit. I don't want to hurt you on a Wednesday. Just enough to hopefully get you excited. Because it gets me very excited when I think about these things. He's talking about the end times. Now what were the Jewish people looking for? And what are they still looking for today? The Messiah. Because to them the end of the times, or the end times, or the end of the world represented the time when the Messiah would come to restore everything back to the way it was. Because you see, to the Jewish people back then and to the Jewish people still today, they believe that they are the people that will be part of redeeming the whole of creation back to relationship to God. This is why they, God had spoken to them. He had promised them. He, he, became in, he went into covenant with them. He became their God and, and he was their people. Correct? And so when, when the, the, the people of Israel were brought into exile and they were sent out of the promised land, the place that was their home, the end times to them represented the time when the Messiah would come and restore everything back. Now who was saying these words? In my Bible... Matthew chapter 24, most of it is in red. So who would have been the one saying these words? Jesus. And who is Jesus? The Messiah. So when Jesus starts talking about the end times to the Jew, they're thinking about something way into the future. But to Jesus, he was talking about right now. This is very important. Because the end times is not just something that will come sometime. The end times has already started when Jesus came because the Messiah had already come. And so the end had already begun. Now, when Jesus begins to share the things that he does, he is sharing it in this context. So now let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we're not going to turn there, but just look at what it says in verse 1. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. At that time, what time is that? The end time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, the kingdom of heaven is a phrase you will read throughout all of Matthew. But then in Mark and Luke, he turns the phrase and it's called the kingdom of God. Let's not get confused. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are exactly the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. What is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? It is about the reign and the rule of the king. Who is God? So he says that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, will be like something. Now when we look at these scriptures, like I said, when you 
have read them a lot and you're familiar with them, you may just assume you know what it means. But let's just pull back a layer and try and understand what he's saying as well. Because he's saying something to the people then, as well as saying something to us today. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. And these ten virgins, some were ready and some weren't. You remember? Some were prepared for the king to return and some weren't. In this story, they didn't know how long he was going to be away. They just knew he was going away. And some were ready for his return and some weren't. And then now we get to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. And that's where we're going to look at this parable. The parable of what's the talents or the bags of gold. And it starts in verse 14. It says, and again, it will be like a man going on a journey. What will be like a man going on a journey? The kingdom of heaven. So we can, and we have in the past, we've looked at it and said, well, it must be talking about the Father, it must be talking about this. No, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of heaven will be like this. A man going on a journey. We don't know how long the journey is, we just know he's going. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. A couple of things. This word trust. This word trust, I'm sorry, this word, start with this one, who called his servants. This, this word called means literally to call by name. So the man, the kingdom of heaven, called his servants by name. As he calls each one of us by name. Right? Right? If you're sitting here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, you've asked Him into your life, it's because He's called you by name. He reached out from where He was and He got you. He talked to you. He said, Ray, I'm calling you. And He did. And you said, yes, I'll follow. This is important. Because yes, He calls everyone, but He also calls us as individuals. This is a good thing to know. That He knows Miguel. He knows where I am. He knows how I'm doing. He knows what I'm going through all the time. He calls me as an individual. And then it says, and then he entrusted his wealth to them. Now the wealth is one thing. That's not so important. The wealth is not what's important. What is important is that he entrusts it to them. What does this word mean? This word literally means to give over the authority of the things that he has. So let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. He said the kingdom of heaven will be like this in the end times. Now we know that the end times already started when Jesus showed up. So this is something he's talking about that's right now. Not just something in the future sometime. But something available right now. He says I entrust the kingdom to my servants whom I call. The authority, the weight of his presence, the authority of who he is, everything he has and everything he owns, he says, I'm giving it to you. What? What? Yes. That the kingdom of heaven, which is about God's reign and his rule, not just his stuff, but everything. I tell you, wealth is great, but authority and power is amazing. It really is. And and I thank God for his provision. But I'm very thankful for his authority. 
I'm very thankful for, for the way that he says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. In verse 15, he says, To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. But what's important in this verse? What do you think is important? Help me out. What do you think is important in this verse? That he gave them. He gave them something. What? He trusts them. Huh? Abilities. Actually, it, the key in this verse is that he gave each of them something according to their ability. Now, this used to bother me. You know why? Because I, I for a long time, thought that you know, God liked my younger brother more than he liked me. I really did. For a, for a very long time, you know, my brother got married before me. He, he's, he's finished university before I did. He's traveled the world doing amazing, amazing, amazing things. You, you know, I, I just like, Lord, you must like him more than you like me. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, you know, he started a church a year ago. A year ago. And a year later, the church is running over 500 people. And I definitely said, Lord, you like him more than you like me. No, it's not true. He doesn't like him more than he likes me. He gifted my brother and I differently. To some, he gives five. To some, he gives two. To some, he gives one. Each according to his ability. What is important is not that you have something, because he gives everybody something, but to know that it is according to the ability he has given you, not somebody else's. So guess what? We're not in competition with each other. There's no competition here. I'm not trying to be better than you, because I can't be. You're you, and you can't be me. Believe me, after this year, you'd be thankful not to be me. But let's be honest. I mean, come on. How often do we find ourselves in competition with others? And this is wrong. Now, my brothers and I, we get together, we play golf. I play golf maybe once every five years. But I just love to get out there. And you know what I do every time I'm out there? We trash talk. We're good at trash talk. Because brothers, when they get together, we just need to trash talk. And everybody's going, yes. I like that. I'm home. <laughs> But I'm not in competition with them with my life, with my calling, with the things that he's given to me that are different than others. I can't be Ray, although I listen to him sing and play and I wish I could. But I'm just not gifted that way. And I'm thankful that he's gifted. Aren't you? I, I can't be Pastor John. I just, I just can't be. Even if I wanted to be, I can't be. Because God has gifted him. And the gift that he has is according to the ability that God has given him. I didn't give it to him. Who am I to question it? Who am I to say yes or no? Who am I? I'm not God. I can't, I can't make anything grow. I've tried. Nothing. It's true. It's nothing. It doesn't work. Each according to 
to their own ability. To some five, to some two, to some one. Now what is the key? And we know the story. Hopefully you're familiar with part of the story. After a long time, the, the master was away. We don't know how long he was away. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, uh, has come in Jesus. And we know that one day, he's coming again. We don't know when. Is that true? I don't know when. Do you? Because if you did, we can pray later, because you really don't. And don't write a book, or write a blog, or get on a TV show, because you'd be wrong. I don't know when. And so we don't know when the kingdom of, the end of the end will be. But we do know that it has begun. And in that time from the now until the time when it comes, ultimately, we have something to do. And he says, the man comes back from his journey, and the one who had five made five more. The one who had two made two more. And man... When the master came back, I mean, let's just look at what it says here in Matthew chapter 25, verses 16 to 18. It says, The man who had received the five, goals, the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, two did something with what they had. And one chose not to. And isn't that true with our own gifts? They're varying. They're all different. But some get right to work to do something with what they have. It would have been one thing if Ray just got up you know, one day and all of a sudden, boom, he plays piano and sings. Just he didn't have to practice. He didn't have to go to school. He didn't listen to any music. Nothing. He just got up one day and got behind a keyboard and, and there it was. But it probably didn't happen that way. Probably happened with lots of work, lots of lessons and practice and listening to music and trying to figure that out and practice and singing and practice and practice and practice before you get up in front of others to perform. Am I right, Ray? Okay. Take what you have, whatever it is, whether it's a lot or a little, it doesn't matter. But if you do something with it, it can become more. If you do nothing with it, it cannot grow. It can't. And the kingdom of God is continually advancing for those who cause its advance. So you, you look around and say, why is God doing something in this person's life and not in mine? Why is, why is God, why, I don't understand this. Well, maybe it's just what they're doing with what they have. And this is not about money. This is about everything. This is about anything that God has given you. For some, you know how to make money. Awesome. Make it. And give to the kingdom. And you do. For those of you who know how to teach, teach well. For those of you who know how to parent, parent well. For those of you who can cook, keep cooking because we need you. Yes, that's exactly right. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Right. I mean, we, we have to just do with what God has given to us. Whatever that is. And so after a long journey, 
The master comes back and he comes to these guys to find out what they've done. And the guy who had five said, you know what, here's your five and five more. And the guy who had two came back and said, here's your two and here's two more. And I want you to see something. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 21 and 23, the words that the master uses, these are the words that Jesus is saying. In verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that sounds like something to me. Does it sound like something to you when you read that? What does it sound like? He's pleased. Well done, good and faithful servant. It also reminds me of what, the, what, what he will say to us at the end of our journey when it's all been done. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest I have prepared for you. Look at what he says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In verse 23, exactly the same words. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, the most important part of the scripture is not that he would give me more or that I made more. It's that I would share in his happiness. Because we forget we are talking about God, aren't we? I get to share in his happiness? Wait a second. Are you serious? Yes. Remember, the kingdom of heaven will be like. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The things that are and the things that are not yet. We live in this struggle and this tension of what we call in some circles the now and the not yet. The things that are in our hand and we know them and we experience them and some things we don't experience them just yet. And it's hard to understand those things sometimes. Why is it the Bible says healing is mine and I have a heart attack? I don't understand this. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but this is the kingdom. Sometimes they're now and sometimes they're not yet and sometimes they're later. And they may not come until the time of Jesus' ultimate return. And I live in this tension and that's okay. Because this is the kingdom of heaven. It still says that he calls me by name and it still says he entrusts all of his kingdom to me and to us. To see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as we know it exists in heaven. So he's happy with a couple of guys. But he's not so happy with the other one. Let's look at what it says here in verse 24 and 25. It says, The man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not gathered seed. So... I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. What does this man make? He makes three accusations against the master. The first one is, you're unforgiving. 
You are a hard man. The kingdom of heaven, remember, it says the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on this journey. And some of us will say, God, you are unforgiving. You're hard. This life that I have is hard. It's difficult. Some of us will say, yes, you've given me something, but I'm going to do nothing with it. Because you are unforgiving. You don't see what life is like. The things that I've had to deal with. And, and I just don't feel you. I don't feel your love anymore. The other accusation, you are unjust. You pull out of the ground the things that you don't plant. You're unjust. I don't understand why you do for some and you don't do for everybody else. I don't get this about you. Yeah, I, I said yes to Jesus at some point, and I said yes to follow you, but I'm not really that person. Because I don't think you're fair. I don't think that the way you deal with me is fair. How do I know people act this way? I just listen to them talk. This one person who is forever telling me, it's just not fair. And I finally just said, it's not about fair. When did, when did you read the Bible and say, this life is fair? When did you read this and somehow say that God will treat every single one and do exactly the same thing for every single one? Where, where do you read that? Because I need to know that scripture. It doesn't say that. It says what he does for one, he will do for others. It says that God is fair. But he, he'll do it with different people in different ways. You have to understand that. And so this man says, you're unjust. And the last one, this is my favorite one. You're unaware. You just don't know what's going on. Now, let's be honest. How many times have we ever thought that? God, you don't know what my boss is like. You don't know what my work is like. You don't know what these people are like. You don't know what my neighborhood is. You don't know what the school district is like. You don't know what my kids are like. I mean, you're completely lost. You're unaware of what this world is really like. Is he? No, but these are basically excuses for doing nothing. And let's be honest. We all make them. I make them. You know, but I can't live my life that way anymore. Something happened to me in a very dramatic way that shocked me into reality that today could be my last day. Last Sunday, not this past one, the one before that, I had pains in my chest again. My wife called the ambulance, came to pick me up. They took my EKG and said, we don't like what we see. We have to take you back. So for the next three days, I was in intensive care again. I don't know. And, and you know what? I'm kind of okay with that. I'm okay with that from the sense of, Lord, you have me in this place for a reason. I need to learn a lesson. What is the lesson? I want to learn it. And I've learned quite a few things about myself, mostly, my accusations to God, my thoughts about Him that weren't exactly real and weren't exactly true. Remember, he's talking to Jews. His first context is to the people of Israel right there. 
These three parables of the, of the ten virgins, the bags of gold, and the sheep and the goats are judgment parables. These are stories he tells about the judgment of his own people in present context. Future context, prophetically, he speaks to us. And what is his response? Let's look at 26 and 27 and we'll be finishing pretty soon. Or tomorrow. His master said, just kidding, I just finally got you awake, that was good. His master said, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not gathered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least get it back with interest. What is, what is he saying? The three responses of, of the master to those who do nothing with what they have been given. You're wicked and you're lazy. I don't know about you. I do not want the Father saying this about me. I, I can't speak for you, but I do not want the kingdom of God, when it looks at Miguel, wicked and lazy. I don't want that. If you want that, that's on you. But for me, I, I, I'm sorry. You knew better. Oh, you made these accusations about me, so you say you knew me. So you knew better. And he says, you could have done something, but you chose nothing. Which response would you rather have? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come share in my happiness. What you have, I'm going to increase. Or this one. You're wicked. You're lazy. You knew better. You could have done something, but you chose nothing. You see, today what you need to know is that the kingdom of heaven demands a response from us. This whole idea of the Christian living as, as what we see and what we understand in much of the Western world is a very, very passive, watered-down form of what some people call the gospel, but it's not the gospel. In order to come to know Jesus... You must recognize that He is, He is God. And He died for you and all of humanity's sin. And He rose again to see the kingdom come and the will of God be done. And one day He will return. I must choose. It demands a response. Today, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the Father demands a response from us. Not excuses. At least do something. Don't make an excuse. Do something. Yeah? Every one of us have a gift. Every one. Maybe five, maybe two, maybe one. It doesn't matter. Every one of us have something. Change is not easy, but I have had to learn change the hard way. It's either change or die. I chose to change. And I live with the reality that every day might be my last one. And I'm kind of happy with that because I'm forced to recognize that today is an important day. 
And tomorrow is an important tomorrow. And every day is important, not just to me and to my life here on earth, but to the kingdom of heaven, what God wants to do through me. I've had the chance to do some crazy things. I've had the chance to sit in a room with our members of our government and talk with them about Jesus and pray together. And when we get together, they say, Miguel, would you pray? I go to their homes and we sit down. We're going to have a meal. Before we have a meal, they'll turn to me and they'll say, Miguel, would you say some few words and would you pray for the meal? And I get to say, Lord, would your kingdom come in this home? Would these people know you as Lord and Savior? Would they experience the power of your presence? Would they see the Holy Spirit come in the fullness that you want to show them who you are and change their world? I have a crazy dream. My dream is to see our government and our nation turn back to Jesus. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to do my part. Even if it's just a one-talent guy. And I'm just a one-talent guy. I'm, what am I? I'm a bald-headed guy from Brooklyn who lives in a country of tall white people. What's that all about? <laughs> really? I mean, what's that all about? It's pretty easy to know who Miguel is. What do I do? Well, maybe I need to take an inventory of the things that God has gifted me with. Maybe take some time and think about it. What is it that God's gifted you with? Maybe you, you learn language as well. I don't know. What, what is it? You, you, what gift that God gave you? doesn't matter what it is. But He gave it. And if He gave it, it's a precious gift. And ask yourself, where can I see the kingdom of God come? Where? On my job, in my neighborhood, with my friends, with my family. What can I do? And last, don't, don't wait for tomorrow. Man, start today. Already be thinking, how can I see the kingdom? How can I, I'm, I, I'm a baker. How do I bake stuff and see your kingdom grow? I'm a mechanic. How do I fix stuff and make your kingdom grow? I'm a computer guy. Hopefully you have a Mac. I can make something work and then, and then I can make it grow. Because it just works. But I mean, really, I mean, honestly, what are you good at and what has God gifted you with? And go do it. See, God has called you as a community not to enjoy this Christian life so that one day you get to go to heaven. That's not the reason. I'm sorry. If you read the Bible, it's actually very different. The Bible actually says, if you read it in Revelation 21, he says, Behold, I see a new heaven and a new earth. Where? Coming down. Coming down. So if your hope of heaven is to just get out of here, sorry. You'll be very disappointed when you get up and you're like, this looks like my neighborhood. (laughs) What happened? New heaven and a new earth. That's what he says. I see it coming down. I don't know how God's going to do it. But he's going to totally restore this place back to the way it was back in Eden. He's just going to like, like pull off a veil. And then we get to see things the way that they really were intended to be. And I promise you, you won't necessarily want to leave and go someplace else. You're like, this is my neighborhood. I like this place. Finally. New heaven and a new earth. We get to be a part of it. And I can be a part of it. Right now. 
So again, ask you the question, and we'll ask this in closing. What would you do if today was your last day on earth? What would you do? What would you do? Let's pray. God, you're good. Even when we don't understand what you do, when we don't understand how you do it, and why you do certain things, and why you don't do certain things, you are good. God, I'm thankful that I'm alive today, that we are alive today, that we get to be a part of seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as we know it exists in heaven. Father, I pray for my friends. I pray for this church. Lord, that you would lead them and you would guide them. You would reveal your truth, your gifts to each one. And Father, that they would take what you've given and do something with it. To see this community that surrounds this building come to know you. To see the thousands and thousands of people who live in this community, right around these walls, that they would come to know you. People that are far from you, that you would call them by name into your presence, into your kingdom. Father, would you take this congregation and set them loose? Father, would you break off any hindrances, any excuses, any hang-ups of the past, anything that have tried to stop and to hinder them, Lord, would you just release them from that? That they would move with vitality and power, that they would move with a sense of your kingdom presence right now with them. Holy Spirit, would you impact their lives with miracles? That they would see your kingdom come and your will be done in dramatic ways. They would pray for the sick and the sick would get well. They would pray for the broken and the broken would be healed. They would pray for the lost and the lost would come to know you. That they would see your kingdom come. They would see your will be done on earth as we know it already exists in heaven. So that when you return, you would say of us, well done, good and faithful servants done some, I'll give you more, and we will share in your happiness. Father, I am so thankful that we together get to see your kingdom move in the city. We pray for the Seekonk area, the community surrounding this church. Father, would you give them impact? Lord, that their lives would look like you. Father, that our lives would look like you. That somehow people would see Jesus in the way we live, the way we do business, the way we treat our friends, the way we mow the lawn, the way we treat our kids, the way we do things, that they would see you. Father, I thank you for that, Lord. I ask you that you would just totally impact their lives. We bless them, Lord. I thank you for them, my friends. 
In Jesus' name.